0: Well, on the screen, uh, you should see our our passage this morning. We're going to be looking at at John chapter 13 in in a moment, but some of you will know this just from reading our ministry updates. I'm I'm on my last course uh, for my my seminary degree. I'm taking the Hebrew language series, nothing like saving the hard ones to the end, Uh, but most of you guys might not know this. I'm actually taking another language uh, at the same time. Uh, which is toddler. Uh, No no textbook involved, but um, it's something that that Liz and I are are taking together. Uh, We have a a six-year-old at home, uh, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. And particularly with our our three-year-old and our two-year-old, the times when, when speaking toddler is the most difficult, and you guys know this if, if you're a parent, uh, if, if you want to be parents, if maybe you have a, a niece or a, a nephew in the family, uh, is the times when, uh, when, when they're not able to do something, the, you know, the, the words N-O, no, right? Uh, that's, that's usually when communication breaks down. Uh, you know, I want more candy. no. Uh, you can't do that yet. You're not old enough. And and usually in those moments, what we found, this isn't kind of a uh, you know magic bullet so to speak, but um, but it tends to work pretty well. And it usually begins with my posture. This is usually what I do. Something will happen. I'll tell Theophilus, "No, you can't have that." And and he'll start to you know frown and he'll start to maybe cry and I'll scowl on his face. And what I'll do is I'll just I'll just get down on my knees, kind of eye level with him, and I'll just ask him the question. I'll say, "Hey, buddy, does Daddy love you?" Does daddy love you? And I'll kind of look at me. And I'll just ask them the question, does, does your daddy love you? And usually I'll do this. I'll start with my fingers. I'll say, does your daddy love you this much? And I'll kind of you know, still be scowling. And I'll, and I'll kind of just start to go out, does daddy love you this much? Does daddy love you this much? And I'll keep going. At usually at some point, usually when my arms are about here, um, you know, there's a chink in the armor. <laughs> And, and, and the defenses start to come down. And, and, he, and he looks up and I'll say, your daddy loves you. And I'll go as big as I can. Your daddy loves you this much, right? And, and there's a moment when, when there's an opportunity to, to communicate and to talk. And, and you know, even if he disagrees with what Liz and I have decided, to go, okay, yeah, I, I know daddy and, and, and mommy love me. I, I can trust them. And see, I think if, if we understand how much we are loved by the, the God of the universe, it does something to us. It, it softens us, it, it changes us, and, and it, it challenges us, I think, to love those who are diffic- difficult to love, uh, which is what we're gonna see in, in, our, in our passage this morning, that the immense love of Jesus, God's love for us, it changes us. It makes us into the people who he's created us to be, and so with that in mind, let me, let me read for us John chapter 13, starting in, in verse one, and then we'll, we'll just walk through it together. John writes, it was just before the Passover festival, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shares my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you this now before it happens so that when it does, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Let me, let me pray one more time just for our, our time, and, and we'll, we'll dive in. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word to us. God, would you direct our minds and our hearts as we look to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the, the, the passage, I hope you saw it as you read it. Maybe it's a familiar one to you. Maybe it's the first time you've, you've ever read the Bible. Um, and if that's the case, welcome again this morning. Um, but, but I want you to see that, that the immense love of Jesus, this, this picture of love that we have, really is set against the backdrop of a stinging betrayal. The context of the story... Is, is this betrayal. Verse two is there's this, this, this evening meal happening. The Passover season was upon them. So if you're not too familiar with first century Jewish culture, think maybe modern day Thanksgiving, right? Big old meal, family and friends around a table, uh, people you love, people you just delight in. They're having this meal and, and there's this intimate time happening and it's in this context that there's a betrayal about to take place. Verse one John includes this detail. He says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. Now, if you've read the Gospel of John, you know that that's kind of of an equation, so to speak. It's a bit of a hint. Whenever it says this hour or my hour or my time, that's always referring to Jesus' death. Remember that kind of strange interaction in John chapter 2? Jesus is at a wedding, and there's no more. The wine's run out, and go, Jesus, can you get some more wine? He goes, my hour's not yet come. What, what is he talking about? See, he's already thinking about his death as early as the, gospel, the beginning of the Gospel of John. And here, in chapter 13, we finally see that his hour has come. The beginning of the end is starting for Jesus. Why? Because there's this betrayal that's begun to happen. And it's in this context, this culmination of emotion, of angst, that we discover, right? His closest friend, one of his own disciples, is going to betray him. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. There it is. And he continues, if you drop down to verse 11, we see it again. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Even at the very end, verse 18, uh, Jesus is quoting this, this Old Testament passage, saying to fulfill this passage, he who shared my bread has turned against me. There's betrayal all over this passage. And see, I think what's, what's clear is the betrayal, but I think sometimes you know, we miss, maybe you know, intellectually we get that, but emotionally I think sometimes we miss how stinging that would have been. Try to put yourself in Jesus' shoes just for a moment. I know it's challenging, right? It's Jesus' shoes. But just for a moment, picture that, 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 that you're about to be betrayed by one of those who are clo- who's closest to you. You know, Judas, if you want to kind of come to the modern day equivalent, Judas is uh, the person that you give a, an extra house key to, just to kind of come and go as they please, one of your, your, your good friends. Judas probably was the person maybe sitting next to you in the church who you, you often grab coffee with. Right, Judas is the person that uh, maybe you put down as the emergency contact and you know, your kids sign up for soccer or swimming and you go, who am I going to put for em-? Okay, Judas Iscariot. That's whose number you would have put. That's the person who's betraying Jesus here, one of his closest, most intimate friends. And see, I think we, we sometimes miss that um, because we, we read this too quickly or because we just assume it's, it's, it's not a big deal. This was a big deal. He's about to betray Jesus, which is why, I think, I didn't include this in the slides, but we often, you know, think of of sin as just breaking the rules, Why God God has all these rules. Maybe if you're a kid, you go, why does the Bible have so many rules? It has some rules. They're in there. But really, sin is, is less about breaking rules, and it's more about breaking God's heart. It's an act of spiritual adultery. It's a betrayal. It's a rebellion against God. It's an intimate relationship broken so how does that apply before we, we move on? Just this question, how, how do you, how do you t- tend to think about sin? We had a, a time of confession that Peter led us through earlier when maybe as you were silent before God or you've never done that before, uh, when you hear the word sin, what comes to mind? Is it, is it kind of a oops or I know I broke some rules or is it, man, I've, I've broken God's heart? Maybe more specifically when, when you hear that little, you know, juicy gossip of you know morsel morsel of gossip at work or you know at school do you do you you think of wow this is breaking God's heart to engage in this or to pass this on to somebody else or when I break my promise I say I'm going to do this thing and then I don't do I see that as like yeah I should have I messed up or wow I've I've broken God's heart I've 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 committed an act of betrayal because God is all about keeping his word he's faithful to us it's as, it's as if this, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching at a wedding, I was thinking about this on the way up, I'm preaching a wedding later this, this month, and it's as if you know God is, is wanting to be intimate with us and, 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 and we're in that relationship with him, and I'm not gonna take it off because my hand's a little swollen, but it's as if we, we wanna give the wedding ring back to God and say, I, I don't want this anymore. right? I, I don't love you. I've never loved you. That's a picture of sin. That's a picture of betrayal that we see in John chapter 13. And it's in that backdrop uh, that we see the immense love of Jesus, to understand how Jesus loves us and why he loves us in, in that context. And I, I think that's why what we see next in the, in, the, in the passage is not just stinging betrayal, it's a shocking love. It's a shocking love. Notice in verse 4, maybe you've read this story, but I want you to slow down again. Verse 4 says, Jesus took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And maybe you read that and you go, okay, that, that seems nice, I guess. I'm not too familiar with foot washing. I don't know that I've ever had my feet washed, maybe when I was a kid by my parents. But uh, I don't know I would call that shocking, maybe, maybe kind, maybe a little strange. Uh, but I want you to see, if you understand who it is that's doing the, the washing of the feet, it actually is very shocking. It should make us pause and go, who is this God, who is this Jesus? who loves me like he does. First thing I want you to see is verse six. Notice how Peter responds to this gesture. Look at, look at what he says. He says, verse six, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, uh, what are you doing? This is crazy, Jesus. This is, this is not what's supposed to happen, especially not you. In fact, later on, verse eight, he kind of makes it even more emphatic. He says, he says no. You shall never wash my feet. Peter Peter is very um, scandalized by it, going, what what is going on? Here's the reason Peter was so kind of thrown thrown aback by it, because in this culture, um, the the job of washing feet was was meant for a slave. In fact, Jewish people wouldn't even let other Jewish slaves wash their feet. They would save that for Gentile slaves. And so Jesus comes along, he wraps the towel around, he gets down there, and he says, what are you doing, Jesus? This is, this is, no. That's that's the first reason this is shocking. But but more than that, remember whose feet Jesus is washing. We just saw that at least one of them is about to betray Jesus, so he's washing the feet of his enemy. But the other 11 disciples didn't fare much better. If you read to the end of the Gospel of John, the other Gospel accounts, um, they might have not explicitly betrayed Jesus and given him over to the, the authorities, but they surely abandoned him. Peter denied even knowing him. They didn't fare much much better. And, and this is the group of people that Jesus is serving and getting down on his hands and knees and, and washing their feet. And maybe even more than that, consider who Jesus is, um, I don't know, ontologically, right? Just a, he's, he's the one who breathed out stars. He's the creator of the universe. He's the one who holds this, this building together as we speak. This Jesus humbled himself to serve these disciples, to wash their, their, dinky, their stinky, dirty feet. I mean, it's, that's, that's the picture that, that John gives us here. And even more than that, if we're gonna take it a step further just theologically. He didn't just wash dirty feet. It's a picture of how he loves dirty sinners, that he came to make us clean, that he came to make us new. How did he do that? It wasn't just by an example. I mean, this is an incredible example. We'll get to that in a minute. But he did it by taking our uncleanliness on himself, our sin unto himself, by dying the death that we should have died, by taking God's wrath that we deserved onto himself and giving us his righteousness, giving us his perfect record, bringing us into his family as we reach out to him, as, as, as we say, God, I need you. Right, the, the, the hymn, what can wash away our sin? You guys know this, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Do you feel broken this morning? Do you feel like, man, I just don't feel whole It's not by working harder. It's not by just trying to do it a little bit better next time. It's by the blood of Jesus. That's what we see in this passage, that he made a way to be saved. And sometimes, you know, I shared the story of the guy on the soccer team. Sometimes I'll I'll often get questions on the college campus, usually from non-Christians, but even sometimes from Christians who are just wrestling. And it usually takes this form. It'll it'll be something like this. Why, Why is Jesus the only way? Have you ever had that question? Like, why, why does it, you know, why can't there be multiple ways? I mean, you know, why only Jesus? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not God. But usually how I respond is something to the, the effect of uh, God has provided a way. Right? We, we were lost. We were without hope, the Bible says. We were, we were enslaved to our sins and our, passage, and our pass- passions against, you know, him and one another. And he's he's created a way for us to be brought back to him, to be reconciled to him. And so maybe instead of asking the question, it's an honest question maybe, but instead of saying, why only one way to say, would we humble ourselves and say, God, I need you. God, help me to understand your love. Help me to understand what it means to confess my sin and to repent and follow after you. It's a picture of, of the love that we see here. So how does this apply before we move on? Very simply, have you ever asked God to forgive you? Have you ever asked maybe God to clean you of your uncleanliness? To say, God, would you take my sin that I deserve to pay for onto Jesus? And by your grace, by your mercy, would you forgive me? Would you clean me? Would you make me new? Would you give me a new heart, so to speak, as the Bible puts it? And help me to follow after you. That's one way it applies. Maybe to start that conversation with God today. And I'm sure many people in the church, either that you saw up front, Peter, others that you know, I'm sure they'd be happy to have that kind of conversation with you to help you. Maybe another way it applies is that if this is true, if this is the way that God loves sinners like you and I, um, it means that we don't have to be fake because God already knows. He knew that Judas was gonna betray him. He knew that Peter was gonna deny him. He knew that his disciples were gonna abandon him. He knows the kind of sin that we're involved with, that we will even do tomorrow, that we're not even thinking. And yet he takes the initiative with us in, and makes a way to be forgiven. And so I think what, part of what that does is it means that we don't have to be fake around other people. We don't have to kind of put on a show. Even with people in the church, we can say, hey, brother, hey, sister, friend, I'm struggling this week. And, and you know I've never really shared this with anybody, but would you pray for me? Would you help me? Would, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I keep getting caught up in the same patterns, and, and I need help. And I think this kind of love allows us to have those kind of conversations because God's not put off by him. He's the one who humbles himself and gets down and washes his disciples' feet. It's a shocking picture of love. And we could end there, and it would be encouraging and, and end with praise, but I think he does one more thing in this passage, which is this. He, he gives us a stretching example. In this passage, we see not just the shocking love, but how that manifests itself, how it challenges us to love others. And I know sometimes, in p- you know, particular theological circles, you know, kind of, Associating Jesus an example can kind of have a bad connotation because sometimes it can go too far and say it's you know if we, if we follow Jesus' as example we can save ourselves. No, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but he does give us an example to follow after. Look at look at verse twelve. It's very explicit. He says when he had finished washing their feet, okay, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked his disciples. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, here it is, you also should wash one another's feet. An example. He actually says that in the next sentence. I have set an example that you should also do as I have done for you. There it is. It's a stretching example to do and, and, and to love the way that Jesus has loved his disciples. Or to say it another way, maybe it's better, is if you don't love like Jesus, and we all struggle to do it perfectly, but if there's not even a sense of, of that kind of love, it, it might be worth asking the question, do you understand the love of God if your love toward other people doesn't look like this? Maybe practically, um, you know, if you call yourself a Christian, are you holding grudges against people? It can be, can be easy to do, and others have hurt you. You kind of give them the cold shoulder. You, you want to smear their reputation. You want to throw them under the, the bus, right? Jesus says, if, if, if you understand the love of God, you, you can't do that. Because it means that you haven't understood how much God has loved you. And, and maybe just to get very practical, um, we, can, we can draw what this kind of love looks like, which is very different than the, the kind of, you know, approach that the world gives. And you've, you've probably heard this before, but usually the way the world operates is that if, if you hurt me, what, what do we do? We, we hurt you back. You gossip about me? I'm gonna smear your reputation. You, you, you break your promise on me, forget you. That's not what Jesus does, right? What does Jesus do? Uh, if, if, if he comes along and says, you take from me, I'm gonna give everything to you. You betray me, I promise never to leave or forsake you. That's the kind of love that Jesus has here. So what does that look like practically? Here's three maybe things you wanna write down. Maybe you wanna ask for the Lord's help today, even as you try to love your family or neighbor, I don't know, a coworker tomorrow. But here's one one. Very specific ways, it means taking the example, taking the initiative, taking the initiative. Loving like Jesus, that example, he says, I've set an example for you, it means taking the initiative, right? While we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. What does that look like in the day-to-day? It might mean that you need to reach out to people in your life who you're avoiding, not even because they hurt you, but just because it's just easier to avoid them. You're like, it's just tough to talk to them. I don't know why, but just the relational dynamic, I don't know, their EQ, whatever it is, um, it might look like taking the initiative and saying, how are you doing this week? Maybe taking the initiative, um, I don't know if you're old enough to do this, if you're at a certain age in your parents' household, you come downstairs and you don't actually wait for your mom and dad to ask you, hey, can you unload the dishwasher? (laughs) Can you clean up after the, the toy room? You just say, you know what? There's a need, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take the initiative. Why? Not to earn brownie points, not to create our own morality, but to say, man, God has given me everything and I wanna respond to that love by loving my parents or loving my family. Maybe um, there's a need that can be met. I appreciate sharing the ministry that she had shared about up here. Is there a need in the church or in your community? You go, nobody's doing anything about this. I really hope someone would. Well, Maybe you're the person because you see the need to take the initiative. That's what this love looks like. But secondly, it means bearing the cost. Not just taking the initiative, it means bearing the cost. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? It's easy to love the people who make us feel good, kind of get a kickback from. He says, even sinners love those who love them. but, But real love looks like loving those who you actually have to bear with. Bearing the cost. Maybe it means this, who do you need to forgive this week? Maybe privately in your own heart, but maybe even tangibly as you talk to them and say, I I forgive you. I'm not gonna hold this against you anymore. And maybe it means bearing that burden by letting it deflect onto Christ and say, I'm not gonna hold on to this one anymore. Maybe it means you need to enter into a conflict, maybe with a sibling. You kind of keep the peace, you kind of fake the peace, but you're not making peace. You're kind of living as, as ships kind of just pass, and you go, I'm gonna just say, can we talk? There's this elephant in the room, and you know what? The elephant's big, but God's bigger, yeah? So let's, let's, let's talk about it. Maybe it means bearing the cost in that way. Maybe a roommate, <laughs> maybe somebody at school, I don't know, man, In summer camp, what it means to bear the cost, why? Because Jesus has filled our account. He's given us his righteousness. And lastly, I think this love looks like going above and beyond, Going above and beyond. What what does that mean? Verse one, it says Jesus loved them to the end or he loved them to the full, right? He doesn't doesn't hold anything back. He pulls out all the stops. Another way to say that is he showed them the full extent of his love. In this passage here, John 13, he's he's left nothing in the reserve tank. Maybe is a good way to put it. And so very practically, where can you be generous to people this week? You know, maybe you'll give somebody at work a, a minute, and maybe I don't, you know, I don't know your job, and maybe you can only give them a minute before the boss gets on you, but you say, I'm gonna find ways to not just give you a minute of my time and kind of have the, the surface-y, how are you doing good? How are you doing good? Okay, I'll see you, you know, in a month. But to say, how, how, how are you really doing? Let's, let's take five minutes here. I'm gonna seek you out so I can actually know how to pray for you, even if you wouldn't say it that way, just in your heart, you go, I wanna care for this person. You go above and beyond. Or maybe, I don't know, when, when you're playing with your siblings at home or you're with a friend in the neighborhood, you go, like, I really don't want to invite that person because they're not cool, they're not fun. But you know what? God has included me in his family when I wasn't very cool. In fact, I was the opposite of cool. I was a sinner and I was far from him. So, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call this guy, I'm gonna text, I'm gonna shoot him a, a message and say, you wanna, you wanna join us today? You wanna come to the game with us? You wanna go to the park with us? You wanna play with this toy? You wanna borrow my lawnmower? Above and beyond, whatever it is, it's what God has done with us, where we can pour out kindness. And in the end, Jesus says, if we do these things, verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Like, as we love like this, it feels like we're giving our life away. And in in one sense, we are, because Jesus says, if you wanna wanna keep your life, you're gonna lose it, but if you end up losing your life for my sake, you'll, you'll find it. As we give our life for the sake of Jesus, because we've been given life by him already, we actually find our life. We become actually happy people, blessed people, full people which is why it might look weird might look shocking to the outside world maybe even in house it might look kind of like why is that person loving like this but that's the call of jesus that's what he's made possible and so if you want to think about like this you know you go this is really hard to love this person this week or the question comes up do i have to do this for this person is that what it looks like maybe just think of those those fingers earlier does god love you this much no, he loves you this much. He's, he's, he's stretched out his, his hands to love you and I more than we can ever know. He's bent over backwards to show us the kind of love that, that we'll never, never lose if we put our faith in Christ. And so let's pray that God would, would help us to see not just his example, but to, to be convinced this morning, maybe just for the, the first time or maybe the hundredth time, how much he loves us. Let me, let me pray for us. God, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that... Um, on your own initiative, you, you came up with a plan to rescue uh, sinful mankind and, and made a way that we could be saved. God, I pray that that would not remain on a, a purely theological, intellectual, ethereal level, um, but it would start to, to influence and challenge us to love others around us. God, our own family, uh, our coworkers, our neighbors, uh, the, the cashier at the grocery store, um, those who are hard to love. God, would you um, empower us through your Holy Spirit to love well, and I pray that as we do that, you would, you would grow your kingdom, um, that people would see that kind of love and, 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 and be pointed not to our example, but, but to your love for them. Would you be so kind uh, to do this, in Jesus' name, amen.